NASA's new budget could bring us closer to discovering life on Europa. We'll discuss that, plus other UFO-related news. And Don Mears, the director of a new UFO documentary, visits the show today. It's time for UFO Mod Pod. friends and welcome to ufo mod pod i'm jason mcclellan and i'm ryan sprague thanks for joining us guys our co-host maureen ellsbury can't be with us today due to forces beyond her control don't worry the government isn't trying to silence her or are they ryan and i have you covered today we're in the thick of the holiday season we're actually recording this episode the week of christmas and although ufos don't take a break the media's coverage of ufo related stories is limited around this time of year everybody seems to have already checked out for the year but we do have a couple of stories we can discuss so here we go let's talk some ufo headlines Jennifer Lawrence is big-time actor right now. I believe she is currently the highest-paid actor in Hollywood, but Jennifer Lawrence is apparently concerned about an alien invasion. The actor was a guest recently on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, and that was on Monday, December 14th. Colbert asked her if anything frightens her or upsets her about the world, and she mentioned how she recently learned about a NASA spacecraft that is currently out in space and contains directions to Earth. She doesn't say which craft that is but she was referring to either the golden records that are on voyager one and two or the pioneer plaques that are on pioneer 10 and 11 anyway when colbert asked her why she's frightened by that lawrence responded based on history when we find each other we kill each other she continued i don't feel like aliens are going to be like oh great let's get along they might not they might want to destroy us and, uh, of course, that is a sentiment shared that we've heard so many times before by theoretical physicist Stephen Hawking, who has many times cautioned us against trying to contact intelligent extraterrestrials because he believes that behaviors of extraterrestrial civilizations will be similar to the violent nature and natural resource-hungry behavior of humans. And i got to say that that always irks me a little bit because – it's purely speculation and a gross generalization of all extraterrestrials. I mean, again, let's look at humans as an example because that's all we have as an example. Not all humans behave in the same way. So it's completely irrational to assume that all extraterrestrials will be either benevolent or malevolent. Good point, Jason. I mean, we come across this time and time again where sound bites like this with Jennifer Lawrence or other celebrities or even scientists themselves, uh, they always speculate like if there is an extraterrestrial presence out there, why does it mean that it's just the greys or just the, you know, the one-eyed slimy monsters from god knows where um it could be just like it is here on earth we have many different types of species on this planet why not throughout different galaxies so i agree with you full-heartedly man and just looking at humans i mean one yeah. human is completely different from another human so mm -hmm. that's always a weird question when people ponder that and say are aliens good are aliens bad <laughs> the answer is yes yeah, both. <laughs> yes, both. <laughs> well, thanks to an increased budget, some NASA missions could provide some answers to these questions. 
Very true, my friend. Um, yeah, we just learned recently that NASA received a major budget increase for 2016. Um, it's actually $1.27 billion more than 2015. Uh, and that even exceeds the Obama administration's budget request of $18.5 billion for NASA. Um, and what this is going to do is provide the agency with a better chance of pulling off its primary missions on schedule, <laughs> I might add. Uh, one of these missions involves the initiative that tasks private companies with building and operating spacecraft uh, to have astronauts travel to and from the International Space Station. Uh, NASA's already ordered the first crewed flights from its commercial crew suppliers, SpaceX and Boeing, which we've talked about a lot in the past mm -hmm. and articles and whatnot. Uh, these were estimated to take place in 2018, but with this current budget increase, we should be able to get these missions done on schedule in 2017. Uh, a lot of people speculate that the main motivation for the commu commercial crew budget increase is to end the severe reliance on Russian rockets. <laughs> Since the can cancellation of the U.S. shuttle program in uh, 2011, uh, we've been relying a lot on the Russian rockets, um, which cost about $80 million per seat. And this commercial crew program, such as SpaceX, uh, it focuses heavily on getting American astronauts into space on American rockets again. So it looks like a lot of these budgets are going towards Americanizing our space programs again and having us get out there and be the first to do things like we have with the moon. This includes other missions uh, such as the Space Launch System, which is a giant expendable rocket NASA is building to take astronauts into deep space. We're looking at stuff like Mars and Jupiter's moon, Europa, so that we can possibly land there. And Europa, as we know, Jason, is the leading candidate for finding extraterrestrial life. Uh, but rather than just send an orbiter to that moon, NASA has been working on uh, what they're they're funding calls for a Europa orbiter with a lander component. So that means, you know, quote unquote, manned missions. The budget increase puts NASA in a spot where it could feasibly do so no later than 2022. And that really excites me because that means that we could land on the surface of Europa within the next decade. So this massive budget increase is just going to increase the technology. And I cannot think of anything more exciting than that. This is so unusual for the budget to be going up instead of down. That's incredibly exciting. And I'm with you, man. The most exciting component about this budget is that $175 million for the Jupiter, the Europa mission, with both orbiter and lander components. Because they've been working on these missions for so long and accepting proposals and looking at the best best options for sending something to Europa – um, they're working on their concept called the Europa Clipper. We've talked about that. Or they mm -hmm. want to do flybys. But yeah, including that lander component is so huge. But I also think it's really interesting that they're NASA's focusing on the commercial crews now. Um, that's yeah. something that's been put on the back burner. And really, uh, private space companies took the lead on that. I mean, SpaceX has been working on that since the beginning of SpaceX with their Dragon capsule. Mm -hmm. Um and I, I love SpaceX and can't say enough good things about them, but uh, I, I do think they're a big part of our, our future of space exploration. And, uh, man, with this budget and the increasing cooperation with NASA and private space companies, so many awesome things are right on the horizon. 
Exactly. And you yourself have mentioned time and time again how these privatized programs were going to increase our exploration of space. And now I think NASA is finally really catching on and Congress is catching on that there's something to this. I mean, look at all the the things we discovered this year alone in 2015. I think that really helped push this decision to really up the game and get out there because again we are a nation and what do we want we want to expand our influence on not only the world but perhaps the galaxy so dum 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 <laughs> technology is amazing and uh yeah we're we're learning new things at such a exceptional rate right now it's really exciting so yeah i do think the public interest is increasing in, in exploring space again so that helps with determining to give NASA more money. So that's fantastic. Absolutely. We have Star Wars behind us now, and we're all big Star Wars fans on this show. But now we're, we can focus our excitement on the X-Files revival that uh, is coming out in January. That debuts with a special two-night event beginning Sunday, January 24th. And with Star Wars now kind of moved to the side, although it's not going to be for quite a while, it's still all the buzz and in everything um, that is just taking over pop culture. But media outlets are starting to turn their focus again to the X-Files 2. And uh, Time Magazine recently published an interview with Dana Scully herself, Jillian Anderson. And as you may or may not know, it's always been the interesting thing with the X-Files that Dana Scully the skeptical scientist on the X-Files is actually in real life. Jillian Anderson is the one who is a believer in extraterrestrial life, not David Duchovny. And in this recent time interview with Jillian Anderson, they asked her, has playing Dana Scully made you more open to the idea of extraterrestrial life? And here's how she responded. I've always been a believer. I've been a believer in many different realms of alternate reality the human capacity to move out of different planes of reality. It's something that has been with me since I was a child. So again, reiterating her, her, her point and, and her more open-mindedness than her co-star David Duchovny. And I wonder if his, his opinions and beliefs have changed over the years after being involved with the X-Files, but uh, I think I've seen in recent interviews that uh, that's not the case. <laughs> yeah, it seems like Mr. Duchovny is quite the curmudgeon when it comes to these topics. Um, I don't. I think he's smart and never really giving a straight answer on whether he's a believer or not. But um, to me, it seems like he's really the type of guy who needs proof, you know, admissible evidence. And, uh, you know, that's just the dichotomy and sort of shows how good of an actor he truly is. You you sort of look at this character of Mulder and you can't help but just see Mulder all the time when it comes to Duchovny. But look at all the work he's gotten lately. This guy's got a career and he, he doesn't want to be sort of lumped into this this character for the rest of his life. So in a way, I don't blame him, but um, at least we still got Julian on our side. I would certainly like to sit down with Julian Anderson and talk about extraterrestrial someday. <laughs> you almost had your chance, buddy. Yeah, yeah. I got a photo with her. That that yeah. has to has to do. But seriously, I, I mean, I always am fascinated when people talk about the UFO ET topic in public and many times. So you, you know that they have a genuine interest and you wonder how deep that interest is. You wonder if there are any personal stories behind it, any familial uh, reasons behind that. 
So I don't know, just sitting down with people, having a drink and probing a little bit to see what their interests are, what their thoughts are and, and where that stems from. Would Absolutely. Be, would yeah. be fun. It really would. And I know both you and I have both spoken to Dean Hagland in the past, who was another member of the X-Files. And he is a true believer in the phenomenon, you know, researching it extensively. So that's definitely that's definitely a guy that we could sit down with, have a beer and record something with. Oh, he would like that. Yeah. I mean, he does. (laughs) He does his own podcast and he's done a documentary film. Related to the subject before, but yeah, great guy. Maureen and I have interviewed him, and I know you have too. But uh, yeah, we should talk to Dean again. But I, I would venture to say that uh, those two are not the only only uh, cast members of the X Files who have a, a deeper interest than just what's on the script. Agreed. Well, in our effort to provide a modern introduction to the UFO phenomenon for a new generation. On each episode of UFO Mod Pod, we highlight a historical UFO case. And because our guest on the show today is Australian, we're highlighting a UFO incident that occurred in Melbourne, the 1966 Westall UFO encounter. Now, here are the basics of the case. On the morning of April 6, 1966, approximately 200 students, staff, and nearby residents in the Australian suburb of Clayton South in Melbourne near Westall High School were shocked to see a UFO hover, land, and quickly fly away. Witnesses described the craft as a silver or gray shining object shaped like a flying saucer or a cup turned upside down on a saucer. The UFO was reportedly accompanied by five light aircraft. According to the witnesses, the incident lasted approximately 20 minutes. Some witnesses assert that men in uniforms arrived on the scene to remove extensive soil samples. Some witnesses even claim that these unidentified men burned the ground where the UFO reportedly landed to destroy any potential evidence. A local newspaper even reported that students and staff were instructed to talk to no one about the incident. Witnesses were and still are firmly adamant that what they saw that day was not a light aircraft or a weather balloon. This is an interesting case with hundreds of witnesses. It's hailed by some as one of the best mass UFO sightings of the modern UFO era. The incident was even commemorated in 2013 with a UFO-themed playground. But recently discovered government documents have some speculating that the UFO was actually a government research balloon. Now, I know the old, awful weather balloon explanation, but listen to this. Keith Basterfield, an unexplained phenomenon researcher and author based in Australia, believes a rogue weather balloon or a rogue balloon from the Highball Project, Highball stands for a high-altitude balloon, is the likely explanation for the Westall UFO. And more specifically, he thinks it was Highball Flight 292. That's pretty specific. So (laughs) the Highball Project was reportedly a joint U.S.-Australian initiative that took place between 1960 and 1969 for the purpose of monitoring atmospheric radiation levels. Large silver balloons with payloads of sophisticated sensors were used to accomplish this. Basterfield formulated his hypothesis after looking at all the available documentation and by conducting his own freedom of information searches. Melbourne newspaper The Herald Sun explains... Documents held by the National Archives and former Department of Supply indicate one test balloon launched from Mildura may have been blown off course and came down in Clayton South in a paddock near Westall High School, alarming and baffling hundreds of eyewitnesses, including teachers and students. 
The Herald Sun points out that despite government records of several highball test flights, the paperwork for the launches scheduled for the day before Westall appear to have been lost or destroyed. Basterfield says what is strikingly missing is a memo reporting on the actual four launches for April 1966, one of which was scheduled for April 5th, 1966, the day before Westall. So we have no official knowledge of where Flight 292 went. Now, I know the weather balloon explanation for UFO sightings is annoying and people hate hearing it offered, but sometimes weather balloons and other research balloons are realistic possibilities. And in the case of Westall, based on recent information, I think it's something that should at least be considered. I would have to agree with you on this one, Jason. Um, Because of the lack of evidence with this case, including what many of the witnesses claimed was trace evidence, you know, scorch marks in the ground that, uh, you know, disappeared the next day and were burned out, um, it just – there's too much too much vagueness going on. I know there were other reports that perhaps aircraft were following this unknown craft, um, but there seemed to be no airplanes in the area at that time, according to much of the Air Force and FAA. So we've just got a lot of back and forth with this thing and a lot of reports that just cannot be substantiated and can't be proven. Well, and here's the thing. I mean, it's difficult to... For witnesses to understand what they're seeing if it's something they're not familiar seeing in the sky. And, you know, these research balloons can, depending on their payload, look really bizarre. And here, yeah. here's why I think it has some credibility. Some of the research balloons from that time period, if you see pictures of them, their, their payloads, the instrumentation that these balloons carry below them, uh, some were kind of saucer-shaped and uh, flying saucer-looking, and they're being carried by a balloon that, in some cases, can extend very high above this payload. So if you're seeing this thing that looks like a UFO, and then this clear balloon at some altitude above it, depending on the sun shining on a a clear balloon, you can get the reflection that can look like multiple balls of light or something. So that could potentially explain why they thought that there were other craft in the sky with this thing. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't there. There were hundreds of people there. And, you know, when you have hundreds of people retelling what they saw, you're going to get lots of different stories, lots of different claims. Because witness testimony is kind of garbage when you boil it down. (laughs) But, you know, there are interesting claims made by these witnesses that don't really exactly line up with the balloon explanation. Mm -hmm. But I think there's enough to say that it's a plausible explanation and certainly one that can be added up there with the possible identifications to explain this strange sighting. Absolutely. I mean, and again, we have to look at that quote unquote garbage witness testimony, uh, mostly coming from students. Uh, Thank you for quoting me on that. Of course. (laughs) I I had to. Um, We look at something like the Zimbabwe case of 1994, which I'm sure we'll cover at some point, um, where a bunch of other students saw something land in a schoolyard. Mm -hmm. um, And then you have that influence going through the students of what they saw. So when we have children see something um, like a weather balloon, of course the word is going to start to spread that this was saucer-shaped, that this was um, that this was alien. So, yeah, um, 
we have to be very careful when it comes to witness testimony, even though that is all we can really rely on um, in terms of things like this. Uh, we just have to remain objective and open to the possibility that this was not extraterrestrial. Yeah, that's right. It That possibility remains. I'll give it that. It could have been something extraterrestrial, but we do have other possibilities. Yep. Entertain the possibilities, friends. Well, our guest today is Don Mears, the director of a new documentary film about UFOs in Australia called Australian Skies. Don, I know it's early for you over there on the other side of the world, but I'm happy to have the opportunity to speak with you today. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jason. It's uh, great to be on here. Well, we're talking about your film, Australian Skies, today. So first, why don't you give us a brief summary of the film? Uh, Australian Skies is a film that has a look at people who are photographic contactees who uh, experience the phenomenon of seeing objects in the skies and uh, get a feeling beforehand, which enables them to uh, grab a camera and uh, film the footage. And uh, we... uh, interview a couple of these people through the film uh, and also go on a little bit of a a road trip, so to speak, where we uh, get to go outside and actually see the processes that they do, uh, what what happens when they see these things or what gear they use and things like that. And uh, it's all set to the background landscape of Australia. One of the people you interview in this film and focus on a lot is Damien Knott. Now, how were you introduced to Damien? I met Damien in a uh, paranormal, uh, sorry, a paracon conference in Sydney, and he was doing a, a talk there, and I managed to catch the talk and uh, sat in. And uh, he was a gentleman who had a lot of footage that he'd captured, and he was presenting it at these talks, and uh, he wasn't... Uh, trying to sh- tell people what they were. He was more inclined to just show people what he was filming. At the time, he'd been, uh, his, I think he was on the tail end of, of quite a lot of uh, activity in his life and the whole thing like that. And he was just telling people about uh, how he'd moved to a country town in Dunedoo a couple of years prior. And uh, from that period on, the experience seemed to elevate for him. And he was just outlining uh, that sort of a situation. And uh, for us, he, look, at the time, he, he struck us as being a very uh, down-to-earth guy and, and thought that he'd uh, be a very good guy for us to, uh, to introduce us to this uh, world of ufology in Australia. And he was gracious enough to agree to uh, come on as our guide, so to speak. What was it that prompted you to even go down this road of making a film about UFOs? Well, first and foremost, I'm not a ufologist. I'm not a paranormal investigator. I am a filmmaker. I'm a documentary filmmaker and a camera production person. And um, I grew up in the age of Star Wars, you know. I mean, well, I think that whole generation has always been very intrigued with uh, this sort of stuff. And I'd always had an interest in uh, paranormal and ufology sort of stuff from a young kid's age just in passing. And... Uh, we, at the time, I mean, my wife and I had seen something strange ourselves in 2003, which 
you know, at the time we saw something that was like, well, that could be very odd, you know, and I think that uh, put a bit of a question mark in my mind as to going, well, you know, instead of going into a topic being completely sceptic, I think we just had a little memory of, of something that we saw way back and went, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it was interesting. So uh, move forward to, uh, I think, last year when we started the production off. We had the production company just moved up to 4K cameras. We'd been coming to the back of other productions, and we, we, we usually work for other people, uh, either in, in uh, live event or content creation or documentary. And uh, we had a, a gap in our schedule, and we thought, look, let's, we've got new cameras, new 4K cameras. Let's make something for ourselves. And <clears throat> I think it was just one of those things I, I wanted to do. I thought this is a really interesting thing, you know, it, it, something that uh, had a question mark for me in it. I thought there surely must be a lot of people out there that see something once or twice in their lives and they have a passing interest in it as well. They're definitely from a layman's point of view. And that's what we thought. We thought, well, let's see if we can make a sort of a UFO documentary that would, as opposed to appealing to, say, the hardcore ufologists or uh, or paranormal people who are right into it, it, something that perhaps might appeal to people that, you know, have a passing interest in it or have seen something once or twice themselves and have a question mark as opposed to just being flat out sceptical or flat out believer. And uh, that was really the uh, the line that we took in the beginning of the film. Well, Damien is an interesting character and... Uh... You know, his story is interesting uh, with his claims that uh, he sort of attracts UFOs. And uh, th- there are several people who, who claim that and, and have the sort of photo and video library of uh, these things that they're seeing. And I know in this film, yeah. there are more than 2,000 photos and, and videos of some of these incredible things that uh, Damien's been seeing. But I've got to ask you... While you were out sort of on this uh, exploration with Damien, what was the most interesting thing that you personally experienced during your time making this film? Uh, definitely. I think the look, the end of it all, we weren't planning to film anything, really. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I mean, first and foremost, with, with the film, and because it's coming from a filmmaker's point of view or, or whatever, I mean, look, I'm interested in these objects in the sky, but I'm probably more interested from a, it's definitely because we're documentary people, we're interested in the people who see these things. And that's possibly a turn of difference for the film, is that uh, as much as the objects in the sky are very intriguing, I don't know if we know what they are or can explain them in a film. You know, right. I don't know if anyone can. I think people do. They, they throw out explanations and answers, but I don't know if, me personally, I don't know if there are any answers yet mm-hmm. for this sort of stuff. The best that we could do was to focus our attention on the people and to work out why they were seeing it and how they were seeing it and what they believed was happening and were there any trigger things that happened. Um, but, you know, through that film, definitely I think the end of it, at the end, we had a lot of strange things that happened. <laughs> Through it. A lot of stuff didn't make it into the film because we wanted to keep it very grounded. If there was something that we didn't feel as though we could substantiate, we didn't want to put it in. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to overhype it or anything like that. By the same token, though, if there were things that happened in the film that were just odd, 
it's the double-sided sword. You've got to put it in as well in good conscience. If you're going to edit stuff out, you've got to put the things in as well, even the embarrassing things like right. garbage bins banging in the middle of, <laughs> you know, yeah. which makes us look like idiots, you know. That just makes it, but I have to put it in because it's part of the part of the documenting of it all. Right. Um, have you seen the film? Have you actually seen the film? I have seen the film, yes. Okay, yeah. Well, definitely, look, it's obviously probably the ending was the most unexpected thing for me. And because uh, I think that at that stage, you can probably tell that I've gone from just being someone who's looking through a viewfinder and documenting something to, and you can almost see the moment that it all clicks over that I'm finding myself flat and bang, perhaps you know, in the middle of something very unusual. And uh, there's definitely a change in attitude for me from a, in my attitude from throughout the film. You know? Absolutely. And uh, uh, the other individual um, who you meet with in the film, Liam, seems to have a more darker experience with his seeing UFOs and stuff because he's got got the claims of the the men in black visits and black helicopters and things like that. Uh, What was your what was your impression of Liam? Uh, Yeah, Liam, very down to earth guy, what you see is what you get. And um, He's a very interesting guy. Uh, I when we actually met Liam, I don't think that he had. I think, as he says in the film, he, he only I think tried to do one talk or had done one talk at one stage mm-hmm. with his stuff that he'd been filming, and then allegedly he'd been pulled over and stopped by people and uh, discouraged from continuing on with doing any more talks. Hmm. And I suppose from anyone listening to this, I mean, that sounds pretty outrageous. And uh, the, the thing is, though, that when he makes a claim like that, but then he can also show you, like he can tell you and show you, uh, make a claim that he has black helicopters hovering over his place. I mean, and then bring out the footage to show you hmm. <laughs> the actual things happening. And he had a, has hours of it. <laughs> I mean, uh as opposed to just writing it off, you have to actually just sit down there. For me, anyway, I just have to sit down there and listen. Very interesting, and go, "Wow, okay, there, there, there could be something here. Let's find out what else is going on here." But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's definitely very interesting. Something about the film that uh, I thought was a really good thing to do, and I'm glad you did it, was showing that. Damien, although he alleges to see these things all the time and has lots of photos and videos, he's also somebody who approaches his sightings very responsibly and tries to identify these things, tries to come up with explanations, you know, with the testing of the drones and and using cell phone apps to look for possible airplanes in the sky or satellites or things like that. He actively tries to identify the object before accepting the fact that it can't be identified. Yeah, I mean, it's true. I mean, you can see in the film that we, on one of the Skywatches, we had Richard there, who he's just uh, part of the production, you know. We're out doing a Skywatch, and and straight away, Richard's jumping around pointing at everything in the sky mm-hmm. because he doesn't, he's not a UFOlogist. Right. He's just there helping us out with locations and stuff. And given the context of it, like, I mean, sure, if we had been on a ghost hunt, probably Richard would been looking at ghosts or something, you know, but... And it, it's interesting to see that Damien is very calmly discounting things out. Mm-hmm. You can see him going, setting up his gear and methodically going through uh, the processes and explaining things to us because we were novices. We're, we're novices. We're not, again, we, we're not ufologists. And 
but gave we were able to show then that Damien is actually going through calmly and methodically going through and discounting things to the best of his ability using mm-hmm. apps and using experience of I suppose filming airplanes at night to mm-hmm. look to see how they appear and playback you know the characteristics and things not so yeah it's it, it and that was interesting you know for us and, that, and that's what we wanted so how do you film this stuff because I know from a camera point of view now, having worked with uh, some of these guys, how difficult it is to film, or how it must be difficult to film this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, you, just because you have expensive cameras does not mean, or and just because you're an experienced camera person definitely doesn't mean you're going to be able to capture what these guys are capturing. And so from a uh, yeah. technical point of view, from a camera point of view, I found that very intriguing as well. Right. Uh, wow, these guys... I, I couldn't capture this stuff, you know. How are they doing it? You know, how how are they how are they actually able to do this? Yeah. So while you were with Damien, following him around, were were you able to capture UFOs? Uh, us personally, mm-hmm. uh, well, I think the, the 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 object in question there was the only the one at the the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recall the, the object at the end of the film that we, we sort of managed to capture, and that even that was uh, the footage isn't the best, but mm-hmm. it, I think you know at least it gives you an idea of what was going on there, yeah. um, and whatever that was, you know, I have no idea. Yeah. Um, uh, no, I, it's, it's, look, from what I can gather, I mean, I know that Damien had been out with other production crews mm-hmm. filming who they have set up big broadcast cameras Mm -hmm. and waited thinking that they are going to be able to capture these things and uh, they just don't have uh, the patience for it or something and 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 the cameras just aren't rigged up and you know it definitely seems they these guys seem to have an advantage of allegedly being able to get a feeling for for when to go and when not to go yeah and you hit on a couple important things there number one sky watching and and seeing these things does take a lot of patience and number two it's not very easy to record them no i mean you can even say it's like fishing you know That's yeah what I felt like it was like fishing i mean if you're, That's a good you're analogy. probably gonna love this but if you're not and, and i think most camera people like i know i am my like, i get bored yeah and you can even see in the film i'm laying on the i'm, I'm laying on the ground wrapped up in car seats because i'm, I'm <laughs> cold and i'm just waiting, that waiting is that around. is one of the the uh, best scenes in the movie i must say <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, it's one of those things that we had to kind of put in just to show the reality of of the situation. You know, it's not all just heroics or whatever drama. It's a lot of there's a lot of downtime, a lot of banter, and a lot of laughs. And yeah, a bit of seriousness as well. But uh, these guys are very patient. Yeah, I think anybody who's done any sky watching and sees that will uh, will appreciate that you put that in because they'll be able to identify with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, the patience, yeah, yes. it's amazing what they must they have to capture stuff. Well, aside from the interesting photos and videos of strange things, what do you hope people take away from your movie? I think that, uh, you know, I think it's similar to even my final comments. I think that these that there is a part of our society out there that are experiencing something to do with this phenomena. And whatever that is, I mean, I, I am not educated enough to give an explanation. I'm not experienced enough either. But mm-hmm. regardless of whatever it is, whether it's terrestrial or extraterrestrial or whatever, I mean, people are experiencing it. 
And at a very human level, sometimes it can be quite scary for them and their families are involved in it as well. And I think that uh, a lot of people, these people that do this, uh, find themselves very lonely Mm -hmm. and um, they're not sure if other people, everyone obviously feeling possibly rather ostracized and, and quite confused. I mean, a lot of times it would appear that this, this phenomenon can either be straight from birth or it can just kick over halfway through someone's life. And uh, I think we just wanted to make the film to show perhaps people like that, that uh, there are other people out there that are experiencing it and that they perhaps aren't alone no. and that uh, they're not the only ones. So do you have any plans to do any additional exploration into the UFO subject? Uh, that's a good question. We uh, we just would like to see now how this goes. You mm-hmm. know, I, I would love to. I think it would be a, a – it's a fascinating thing. And for me, it's – there's a, once you start a, a project like this and um, people start to see it, you obviously get a lot of feedback and uh, a lot of people who – have had their own experiences start to write in, and I, I think that um, there's definitely different elements of it now that mm-hmm. could be explored, maybe beyond the photographic contact or keeping that in mind and moving to the other topics as well. But uh, you know, possibilities there. We just want to see how this goes and uh, see if people like it or not. You know? Right. Well, that's very true. And Don, thanks so much for hanging out today. It's been wonderful having the opportunity to talk with you about Australian Skies, and we wish you luck with the film and hope it does very well for you. Jason, thanks so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. If you missed any of our previous shows, you can always find episodes on our website, rogueplanet.tv. But UFO Mod Pod is also on iTunes and Stitcher, so you can find us there too. Thanks again to Don for hanging out with us today. You can learn more about his film, Australian Skies, at australianskies.com. That's A-U-S-T-R-A-L-I-E-N, skies.com. Australian, like alien, australianskies.com. And if you want to watch the movie for free, we're giving away some free iTunes download codes. So if you're interested in seeing Australian Skies for free, All you have to do is share this episode of UFO Mod Pod on Twitter or Facebook and tag us. Our Twitter name is Rogue Planet HQ, and we're Rogue Planet TV on Facebook. We'll pick a few winners at the beginning of January. Yes, January is almost here, and that means that this is our last show of the year. We're excited to bring you more UFO strangeness in 2016, and we really want to hear from you to get your feedback on the show. And let us know what you think about the show, how we can improve it, and what you're interested in. And as always, if you have a UFO sighting or story you want to share with us, we'd love to hear that too. Use the contact form on our website, rogueplanet.tv, and send those to us. And again, this show is on iTunes. Subscribe and leave a stellar review if you enjoyed the show. Thanks again for joining us today. I'm Jason McClellan. And I'm Ryan Sprague. Thanks for letting us increase your mental budget. (laughs) 